Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. That through his death and resurrection, we have life and freedom. We thank you that this was a gift freely given. It's a salvation wrought only by you. Lord, we thank you for your spirit who indwells each and every believer, who fills and teaches them, who illuminates, lights up for us the words of Scripture so that we might know truth, be changed and transformed through it. We thank you for your love, your compassion for us, that even though our sins are many, your mercy is true. In Jesus' precious name we pray. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, again this morning. We're going to be in verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Philippians 2, 19. I think I might have you lose the control here. Let's play. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me, to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. 
and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, before I jump into this text, I, I like sharing with you kind of my process and, and thoughts and things just because I think that part of my job as your pastor uh, is to not just expound the Word of God uh, on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or, or something along those lines, but to try to... to to teach and, and help you learn how to study the Bible. And sometimes we learn best when we learn wrong, or we think wrongly and then uh, God kind of bumps us on the head a little bit. There are a lot of really good passages in the book of Philippians. There's a lot of really good things in, the, in Philippians, things that we can get really excited about. And, and, and honestly, those are fun things to preach. Uh, I like it whenever we, we feel the Spirit of God, and I like that. It's, 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 but it's not the point. It's not what, what we should be after, this maybe feel-good feeling. I was with family yesterday, and, and this, this week, I, we've been looking at this, I've been looking at this passage this week, and and trying to find that oomph a little bit. And, and you just don't seem to find it. I just can't seem to find it. And we'll talk a little bit more of that in just a second. But we were, at, we were with family yesterday out western Ohio. And, and my uncle, he, he asked me, he's like, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I said, you know, there are, there are really good passages in Scripture that I just, you know, in the book of Philippians, that I really got excited about preaching. And this week I'm preaching about Timothy and Epaphrodite. I'm not all that excited. And my cousin, my cousin, he he turned to me and he said, But it's the word of God. And I went, Oh, yeah. I think sometimes we can we can study the Bible. And here's here's a, a basic truth of scripture. Not all scripture is created equal. Right? There are places in scripture where we're like, we want to stand up and shout and oh, it's exciting. Romans 8. One of my favorite passages is, is Jude 24 and 25. I just love it. And then there are passages that, that aren't as flashy, maybe. And they're just as important to us. And, and, and I think what, what my cousin was saying to me and what the Lord was saying to me through my cousin was this is one of those passages. And so I've been I've been searching through this this week and trying to figure out what to say about it. And a little while back, uh, uh, the pastor that I I listened to and listened to his sermons and watched him speak in conferences and stuff, he 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 said one of the most important questions that he asks of the text. We, we read the Bible, and one of the ways that we study the Bible and learn from it is we ask it questions. What is it saying? What is it saying about me? What is it saying about the Lord? What is it saying about our relationship? Things like that, questions that we ask the text. And one of the questions that he asks every text is if I remove this passage from the larger context, what do we lose? 
And so I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite know what this passage is supposed to be saying. I thought about thought about that question, and, and I think I think I found what Paul is teaching us. But again, it's not a flashy verse, but I do think that it's important. And so we're going to take this just a little bit different. We're going to, I'm going to plainly show you what I think the text says, and then I'll say what I think it, it means. Sometimes we kind of blend those as we go through this, but we'll take this in stride. First thing is there's two paragraphs. There's two things happening. Paul talks first about a man named Timothy, and then he talks about a man named Epaphroditus. And I think we learn three things about these two men from Paul in this passage. The first is that they're, they're servants. They're servants, or maybe we could put it in the language that, that Paul puts it, they're messengers. Timothy is a messenger who is going to be sent from Paul to the church at Philippi. And his, his mission is to go and get information, gather information about how the Philippian church is doing, and then he's going to bring it back to Paul uh, quickly, relatively quickly. Uh, Epaphroditus is a messenger, but he comes not from Paul, but he comes from Philippi. And the Philippians, they hear that Paul is in prison. And because they hear Paul is in prison, uh, they feel this need to, to aid him. Uh, we've talked about Roman prison, the Roman prison system, or maybe lack thereof, of, of system uh, in the ancient world. We think of prison system, and we know that you get food every day. You get probably some form of entertainment or some form of, of exercise. In the ancient world, you just simply weren't guaranteed that. In the Roman Empire, you could, you could be in a relatively comfortable place. You might get some water, maybe some bread, and you would, you would live, but barely. And there are some situations where you're going to get thrown into a hole and if somebody doesn't come to help you, you're going to die. You're going to literally starve to death. Paul, we know, has some level of comfort. Perhaps it's a little bit more like house arrest, but he's still, he's still not able to work. He's still not able to go get food himself. And he's at the mercy of probably the guards. And so the Philippian church, they, they hear that Paul is in prison and they want to continue to support Paul. And so they decide to send some financial support. We talked about this in the first, first week of Philippians. We'll talk about it again as we close the book of Philippians. But they send him some kind of financial support. And they intend for Epaphroditus to stay with Paul and tend to his needs. Uh, probably one of the things that uh, Epaphroditus brings is the paper and ink for Paul to write a letter back to the Philippians. He brings him financial support, probably food, and other little things, and was going to kind of tend him. He also brought word of the Philippian church to Paul, and this is why Paul writes. He says, "I'm excited to hear about you guys, how you, how good things are going, and how how well how well things are are, are, are plugging away." But on his way, Epaphroditus, or either on his way or shortly after he gets there, Epaphroditus gets very very sick. He gets very sick in verse. 27, Paul says, near to death. In verse 30, he says, uh, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. He was very, very ill. And what ended up happening is that Epaphroditus couldn't, not only could he not serve Paul, 
as a as a go between, as maybe a, a food getter and things of that nature. But but he became a burden for Paul because Paul cares deeply about Epaphroditus, and if he would have died while he was there, uh, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. So so both men are 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 servants and messengers uh, for the Lord. Paul calls Timothy a son, a son with a father in verse 22. And if you have your Bibles, I, I'm, I'm not going to be bouncing back and forth here. So if you have your Bibles, you can find them. Maybe Clay will. He says, I hope uh, you, you are a, a, a son with a father as he has served with me in the gospel. We know a great deal about Timothy, at least for a secondary character in the New Testament. We know a great deal about Timothy, that he's a traveling companion with Paul, that he's he's got a little bit of a weak stomach, and, and some other things that we learn from the two letters to Timothy and, and from the letter to the Corinthians and the book of Acts. We know a little bit about Timothy. We know that he's a traveling companion with Paul. And we know that he serves as a, as a minister, but in this particular case, Timothy's job is to go and to receive word from the Philippian church. And in a lot of ways, Epaphroditus' job was to receive word from Paul. The second thing that we know about Timothy and Epaphroditus is that they feel that what they're doing is missional. It's missional. It's work for the Lord. One of the reasons why I think this passage seems less flashy than other passages is that because Timothy and Epaphroditus are really doing things that we can all do in about 30 seconds on our cell phones. Paul wants to know about the the church in Philippi, so what should he do? He picks up his phone, he gives him a call. Hey, how are things going? How's the teaching going? How are people receiving the teaching? He hangs the phone up, and, and that's the end of the conversation. And this is what Timothy's job is. But in the ancient world, we don't have cell phones. They don't have quick communication. There's no, you know, telegrams or anything like that. No email. Really, not even snail mail. Not even actual mail in the envelope in, in the post office is going to take it. Timothy has to go and get information and bring it back to Paul. But Timothy recognizes that for Paul to continue to do the work that he was called to do, namely to be the 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 pastor to the Gentiles, the missionary uh, to the Gentiles. Paul needs to know what's going on. And so Timothy believes that he's doing something very important. And Epaphroditus and the church at Philippi believe that Epaphroditus is doing good work. That's why they send Paul. And Paul acknowledges this in verse 30. He says, risking his life to complete what's lacking in your service to me. And I think the third thing that we see of these two men is that Paul holds them in high regard. Paul holds them in high regard. I already mentioned verse 22, and and, sorry, Clay, I'm really giving you a workout. I already mentioned verse 22, where Paul calls Timothy a son uh, with a father. He has served me with, uh, he has served with me in the gospel. You don't typically call somebody your son if they're not actually your son, unless you hold them in high regard. We know, in addition to what we see in the book of Philippians, we know that Paul holds Timothy in high regard because he leaves him in areas that Paul, uh, at churches that Paul plants. And Paul's like, I don't want this church to collapse if I leave, but I know I can trust Timothy. And, and, and in addition, the kind of the 
the point of what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm, I'm going to send Timothy, for I know that Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I know that Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He knows that Timothy is serious. Then he contrasts Timothy's worthwhileness, that's not a word, but with others. Verse 21. He says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that Paul is trying is telling us that we should focus on these people who aren't who aren't doing things right. I think he's simply mentioning this to, to show us Timothy in a clearer light. But Paul is most likely referencing those people that we talked about earlier in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. Paul has, Paul has been put in prison. And we're, we're prideful people. People are prideful, right? And, and we see a person who has authority, and, and he's a very important person. And now he's gone, right? He's in prison. There's kind of a vacuum left for authority. And there's, so there's some of these people who are like, well, I could be the next Paul. It's not that they're not preaching truth. It's that they're, they're preaching truth and kind of going, but I could get some status. And Paul sees these people who are with him, who, who could technically make the journey and get information, but he's like, they don't, they're not as trustworthy as, as Timothy is. So he holds Timothy in high regard. But he also holds Epaphroditus in high regard. He also holds Epaphroditus in high regard. And this is where it gets a little bit strange because Epaphroditus, he comes to do a particular thing. He's sent by the Philippian church. Undoubtedly, they prayed over him. They said, we're going to send you for an indeterminate amount of time. So they send him, send him, and he, he gets there and, and, and he can't do the majority of what he is supposed to do because he gets sick. And not only he gets sick and he can't, he can't tend to Paul's needs, but now Paul almost has to tend to his needs and and so maybe we go, ah, but he's not doing the thing that he was supposed to. It doesn't look like he's doing the work of the Lord, so maybe he's not as good as we all thought he was. But Paul's like, no, it's not. Sometimes our plans don't go as we think they'll go, right? And what we, what we could do when we see plans not going the way we think they're supposed to go is we could get discouraged and we say, oh, that's... God must, must have failed there. But that's not what Paul has been teaching us throughout the letter, correct? He, he shows us his confidence, his, his faith in the sovereignty of God. Look, I'm in prison, and I, and I know that the gospel is still advancing, even though I'm in prison. It could, it could seem like it's failing, God is failing. No, it could seem like Paul, the, the, the God is failing because Epaphroditus gets sick, and he's not, allowed to, he, he's not able to continue his work. But Paul says it's not about... It's not, it's not about the completed work. It's about the service to the Lord. And, and, and Epaphroditus, he does this, and we should, in verse 29. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get there. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men. Why? Verse 30, for, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul holds both Timothy and Epaphroditus in high regard. 
And not only does he hold them in high regard, but he, he in a lot of ways, is lifting them up to his audience to hold, for his audience to hold them in high regard. He all but commands it when he says, honor such men. So I think that's what we see plainly in the text. But as you know, if you've been coming here for any length of time, as you know that it's, I think that context is, is massively important. And, and really, we could take verses 19 to 30 out of the context and read them just exactly as we did and look at them exactly as we did. And we don't need to care about the context, right? That, that we, haven't, we haven't addressed the contextual issues here. We could take this and set it aside and, and it, not lose anything. But I think context matters. Context matters. So I'm looking at this, and and I'm thinking, if I take this out, what do we lose? If I take this out, what is missing from Philippians? And I was thinking about the earlier part of chapter 2 when when Paul tells us, earlier part in chapter 2, Paul says, do do nothing from, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's how we interact with each other. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Count others more significant than yourself. And then he, he, he gives this hymn, and it's probably a hymn of the early church. He talks about about, about Christ. He says, who, who, in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What, what Paul does when he, when he puts this account in here is he's, he's showing us the most perfect example of how we can count others more significant than ourselves. Look how Jesus did it, he says. And I think I think that's exactly what Paul is doing here with Timothy and with Epaphroditus. He's saying, look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. We've been talking about Paul's argument through Philippians is, is sanctification, personal sanctification, grows into community sanctification, community growth, unity in the life. And that grows into evangelism. This is the this is the thrust, this argument of the book of Philippians. And as I as I think about what Paul has been saying, and then I think about how he uses Jesus as an example of how we interact with each other. And now I'm looking at Timothy and and, and Epaphroditus. I'm going, Paul is doing the same thing here. He's showing us examples to follow. How do we how do we find personal sanctification? How, how do we go from personal sanctification to, to corporate growth and sanctification? How do we grow more like Christ, both as individuals and as a community? And I've been saying it throughout. We, we, we cannot serve the Lord without serving each other. It, it's, it's simply, it's, it's, it is the makeup of what it means to serve the Lord. This is why when the Pharisee asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he asks for one, Jesus gives him two. Because they can't really be separated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I can't love my neighbor as myself without serving my neighbor. Because everything I do for myself is service to myself. I'm hungry, I eat. I go and I get food. I'm thirsty, I go and I get a drink. And if I'm to love my my neighbor as I love myself, you're hungry, I go get you food. You're thirsty, I go get you drink. It's, it's service. And, and Timothy and Epaphroditus are, are servants. 
not just to Paul, but to, to the church. The other thing that I think we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus, I don't think Paul's necessarily trying to draw this out, but I do think it's there, is that don't, don't let yourself think for a minute that there's any, any service to anyone that's not good enough. Right? Sometimes, far too often, not sometimes, far too often, we, we classify actions within the church. Oh, a missionary, he, he left his, his home of his youth and he traveled to some foreign country. This person, is his work is just so much bigger and so much more important and so much more flashy than anything that I could do. But this is, this is, this is to misunderstand what it means to serve the Lord. Like I said, Timothy, he's doing the job of a cell phone today. But for Paul, it was vital. And so, what should we do with this? I think we see two, two men to, to emulate, to honor them. By imitating them. Paul's going to say this about himself in just a few verses. Imitate me as I have imitated Christ. We should imitate Timothy and imitate Epaphroditus. We should trust that that our work, big or small, is is work for the Lord and it's worth doing right and it's 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 worth doing. Period. Right? But does that where is that where it ends? Where it ends is that should we just imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus? And, and, and like I said, we got we got some information about Timothy in the Bible. We got two letters that Paul writes to him: Corinthians and Acts, and a couple other little mentions here and there. We got a few things, and 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 for a secondary character in the New Testament, we got a little bit of information, but relatively little. And Epaphroditus is almost completely absent. We get we get it here pretty much. How are we going to imitate these people? I mean, when Paul says, imitate me, we at least have 13 letters and half of the book of Acts to follow. These, these men are servants of the Lord. And so what we do when we don't have a direct, a direct application, so, so say for a minute that we were part of a denomination. And that denomination had sort of a hierarchical structure, and there's a person up at the top, somebody like a bishop or a superintendent, depending on the dom- denomination, and stuff, who's, who's not necessarily a pastor, but he's kind of an overseer of pastors, right? That would be kind of like Paul. And maybe he wants to get some information about how the church is going, so he sends you know, John, John Smith to, to our church. That's kind of like Timothy. When, when we have maybe a direct comparison, we can kind of go, oh, so we're supposed to honor, uh, you know, honor John Smith like Timothy here, and that makes right. That's a direct comparison. But when we don't have that, what we have to do is we have to think about the principles. The principles. So the principle of this passage is that is that is that sanctification happens a lot of times through observation. I said last week that sanctification happens within the community of believers, listening to the Word of God together, studying the Bible together, praying with our family. 
this, this is process of growth in our lives. But, but sanctification also happens predominantly through us watching other people who are doing it. Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul, Jesus, we're supposed to see them and emulate their behavior. And so let's, let's think about it for a minute. More than just Timothy and Epaphroditus, we, have, we, are, we are so incredibly blessed here at this church. Maybe I should say it in a different way. I am so incredibly blessed here at this church that there are men and women in this church that are so much better at being Christ-like than I am. There are many people in this church who are Timothys and Epaphroditus and Paul. Who we can look around in this room right this very minute and we can see them as being people who are being sanctified by the work of the Spirit and growing more like Christ each and every day. And, and, and sometimes we wonder, how am I supposed to live out my Christian faith? Look around you. And so I'm going to get in trouble here in just a second. I'm going to tell you about a few. And the first person is Wes. Wes cares deeply about you. And he does so quietly. Mind you, he sings and he's loud, but that's not what I'm... But he does so behind the scenes. Wes and I, we meet together. We try to meet every week, and, and sometimes schedules don't allow. And we talk about we talk about your hurts and your concerns and your cares, and and and, and we pray for you. And Wes prays for you. When he knows that there is a struggle happening in your life, he he deeply cares for for what is happening. And I can tell you that he's willing to help. It's not just Wes, the governing board. Right now it's Clay and Mike and Matt and Jeff. You know, meetings are like the worst thing ever. But they're necessary. At, at least here at Christ Church, we meet and we talk about business things. And the purpose in doing that is not to it's not to have a, a well-oiled machine, but to but but to have a church that operates in a in a way in a that is smooth, it presents the gospel, and it gets all other distractions out of the way. And, and these men, again, while they're seen as the governing board members, do it largely without any recognition. Amy Polito, who operates our children's ministry, we have maybe 120 to 130 people on a week, a week in and week out basis, and what? 50 of them are children. It's a humongous responsibility. One that she does extremely well because, not because it's some, not because it's a job, but because she cares. She wants to see those children grow up to know the Lord as their Savior. And this is the one that I'm going to get in trouble for. Well, there's two of them. Tom and Laura. You know, I, when we started here, I, I, and I've said this a couple times, a man named Bob Hart who owned this building before us, he gave us breaks on the on the on the rent, and, and and I've said before that 
we would not be a church if it weren't for Bob Hart. I'm pretty confident in that. I can say the same thing about Tom and Laura. Laura would, would literally probably kill me if she knew that I was telling you how much she does and how much they care for this church and for you. And they're serving you by, by getting the plates. You know, when we have meals, have you ever thought about who gets these plates? Tom and Laura do. And it's a, it's a simple thing, but, but it allows us to fellowship together in a way that we couldn't do without the plates. And the last one is Missy. I can tell you with confidence that I don't believe that we would be a church without Bob and without Tom and Laura and without any other. But I can guarantee you we wouldn't be a church without Missy. And I can tell you that I'm a better person by watching her. By seeing how she takes care of our children. And how she cares for each of you. And how she prays for you. And serves quietly. And these are all people that we can look to. Not because they're special. But because they love Jesus. And because their lives have been changed and transformed by the work of the Spirit that's in them. And, and so many times we ask, how can we do this? Look at them. I don't have the compassion of Miss Laura for you. I don't. I'm not built that way. And she is. It's not that I don't care for you. I do. Well, Missy, hear something, and, and I, what I do is I just plow through life, right? I'm just crashing through China cabinets. And, and a lot of times I'm about 10 miles ahead before Missy goes, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear that they were pregnant? Did you hear that they were in the hospital? I don't know. I didn't because I'm oblivious. But she, but she sees it and cares for you. When you have hurts, she hurts. And these are all Christ-like. Honor such as these. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. sent your spirit to grow us. And we thank you that even though we are all flawed, that we can see change and transformation in each other's lives. A change and a transformation that helps us to be changed and to be transformed. We thank you so many people in this church. So many examples to follow. So many who, who dearly love you. I ask that we would be 
emboldened by them. That we could see their service to you and to us. We could imitate them as the Spirit draws us ever closer to your Son, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. We pray this in